0: Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson.
1: Thanks for tuning in. I'm so happy to have you all listening right now. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced-stage breast cancer. I'm a motivational speaker and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And before we even start today, I want to make a really awesome announcement. We have a brand new sponsor that is sponsoring this radio show. It's a company called Electa, and Electa is the uh, they they sell radiation therapy equipment. They're based out of Sweden, I believe, and I had a chance to meet their Northwest um, sales representative at a conference a couple of years ago. I was speaking at at their conference for radiation therapists, and I was speaking about compassionate care and, you know, kind of how scary it is from a patient's perspective to lay on these machines and see all these bells and whistles and not having a clue what any of them are doing. And so this wonderful fellow, whose name is Aaron, uh, same name as our wonderful engineer on this show, um, but Aaron went back to his office afterwards and went down into the basement where they store some of the machines. And he got on one of the machines and looked up at all the dials and, and everything and just tried to put himself there as a patient thinking, what would this feel like? And I'm so impressed that he did that. And we have, since then, we made a connection um, beyond that, you know, beyond that conference. And I asked them if they would consider being our global sponsor because they have a global product and we have a global audience. So when they said yes, um, we finally got it all put put together, and you'll be hearing some announcements and things from them. But I wanted to thank Electa for stepping forward and helping us keep this show going, and I'm just so excited to have them on board. So with that, we'll go into the program now. But I wanted to, um, before I even introduce our guests, I want to share a little thing that was sent to me this weekend Um I'm not good with stress. I don't think any of us are. And I think that especially cancer patients, you know, we don't need a whole lot of stress in our lives. And sometimes things come up that just kind of can almost kick us over the edge. And I wanted to share this this thing that my friend sent to me. She says, or she wrote, she didn't write this. She just forwarded it to me as one of those wonderful Facebook things that come across. It says, there comes a time in life when you walk away from all the drama and people who create it. Surround yourself with people who make you laugh, forget the bad, and focus on the good. Love the people who treat you right. Pray for the ones who don't. Life is too short to be anything but happy. Falling down is part of life. Getting back up is living. And I... I love that so much, and I, the reason I wanted to share that specifically today is because I'm a stress eater. You know, I think a lot of a lot of people can probably relate to that. You know, you eat when you're sad, you eat when you're depressed. The only time I don't really eat is when I'm mad. When I'm mad, that's when I clean my house. <laughs> so, you know, we all find our outlets, right? So we want we're going to talk a little bit about stress eating later on in the program um, with when we after I introduce our guest, which I will do right now. So our guest today. Day has been on our show before uh, she shared the platform with um, uh, with one of her co-workers and Megan Gardner is a graduate of the National University of natural Medicine with a Master of Science in nutrition and she went on to earn the gold standard in nationally recognized certifications and is credentialed with the board of certified nutrition specialists man that's a lot of words one of the she's one of the of only a few certified nutrition specialists practicing in Oregon, Megan employs several integrative care modalities to treat cancer, autoimmune. Uh, diabetes and other chronic conditions welcome Megan I wasn't sure I'd get through that intro because that's a that's a good one
2: (laughs) it is quite a bit hi Becky (laughs) well thank you so
3: much for having me back I can't believe it's been about a year and a half
1: I know right well you know we always can remember the ones that really stood out and you did a really great interview that was May of 2018 is that right
3: it was yeah
1: yeah, and you're about halfway through the interview if I as I recall um, when we brought you on but you know you did a great job talking about nutrition and we'll probably cover a little bit of the same stuff but I know that we're gonna go a little bit of a different direction because things get confusing but before we do all that would you just take a minute and introduce yourself to our audience tell us you know about your family I know you got a, you got a kid or two and just you know just, just a tell couple us, of just, them you know just tell us briefly about your your family life and your background background and what you like to do just so we can get to know you a little bit.
3: Sure. Um, so I'm a native Oregonian, as is my husband, and we are raising two amazing little boys, uh, Jackson, who is seven, and Austin, who is four. And I actually got pregnant with my younger son while I was in the master's program. Um, and we we love to eat. We love to get outdoors. And you know, ever since I can remember growing up, food and family went together, just like bread and butter. And um, I think for me to be able to include my family in something that I really enjoy is important. And it, it makes me very grateful. Um, actually my older son Jackson is a self Proclaimed taste tester, he likes to use (laughs) all twenty of his digits to provide his feedback on what we made. So ten fingers (laughs) and ten toes. (laughs) Well, I would come and do that too if you would invite me. Oh, absolutely. You know, we are doing a breast friends cooking class on Sunday, so we're Mm. gonna we're gonna have some more of these things coming up. But uh, I used to be a jazzercise instructor and a recipe what I call modificationist because back then Pinterest didn't exist. There was no way to easily look online to find a swap for. Something. So, I was more or less self-taught. Uh, then I became a nutritionist and a personal trainer, uh, and I still do jazzercise when my schedule syncs up with theirs. And we just we do a lot of time spending together outdoors and uh, moving because it's so important and especially helps with stress management. Thank you. I
1: have to go move. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I have gotten to know you a little bit more recently and in a different perspective, um, not just as a nutritionist, but I am so happy to have you in my life. You are just this little bundle of positive energy. And um, you just recently joined our board of directors, which also is very exciting. So tell me why you did that. I'm so glad you did. But tell me why.
3: Um. Well, I, I have a background, I spent about 10 years working in law and politics, so I have sort of a unique skill set, and so I suppose the short answer is that... Um, my skill set seemed to fit the need and uh, be of benefit to the organization, Uh, but the long and I guess slightly abridged version is that I've been a volunteer for about three years with the Breast Friends community. And during that time, I've met some incredibly inspirational women who've been so very grateful for what the organization has been able to provide for them in terms of support for them, but then also just in support of the overall community in and of itself. And just as a side note, I know you know, this, but 2020 is the 20th anniversary of Breast Friends of Oregon. Yes, it is. So I wanted to make sure that your listeners knew that because as far as I understand, it's almost unheard of for a small nonprofit to succeed in offering the types of services and programming that Breast Friends offered. And you are still continuing to grow and thrive and give women this extraordinary inspiration and hope that they might not otherwise find. So that's, that's a big part of
1: why I'm here doing what I do. Thank you so much. Yeah, it is kind of interesting because we started in, in 2000. So yeah, 2020 would be our 20th year. So yeah, it's uh, it's been a it's been a good ride too. I mean, we, we've we done a lot. A lot was done through trial and error. We're still figuring out that we don't know everything. Uh, we're still trying to figure out some processes that work. And, you know, one of the things that when you do a lot of, of work, trial and error, sometimes things come up that you weren't quite prepared for and we have to figure out how to make them work. But that's How we've kind of managed for twenty years, and we get processes in place, and you know, it's it's a skill, and we haven't given up, and I think that's the key. Is I think a lot of times when things get difficult, people people quit, and we we don't quit. We're we're just too stubborn for that. So
3: well, no, and flexibility is so important, and we talk a lot about that when it comes to dietary. Advances and whether or not we're making certain lifestyle modifications mm-hmm. because there's no right or wrong way to do anything. There's no truly good or bad. And so I think it's important to be able to keep an open mind and you just work, you know, sort of as, as the fable of Aesop with the tortoise and the hare. It's kind of a slow and steady wins the race type of progress. And that's what we look for when we make lifestyle modifications around diet and movement. And
1: stress management, and some of the things we'll be talking about a little bit later good, in the show. Good. Well, why don't you start by telling us what you do? I mean, we've gotten through the personal stuff, which is awesome, and you do have a wonderful life. Um, tell us about what you do now professionally, and because you know you've got a lot of credentials behind your name, so I don't I know, it's know a little what ridiculous. all of those things mean. But um, <laughs> but why don't you just take a minute and explain to our audience what is it that you do professionally, and what led you to this field of practice?
3: So I am a clinical certified clinical nutritionist and part of what that means is not just about helping you to figure out what diet works best for you individually and in fact I really don't even like the word diet I really it's all about nourishing you and choosing the right foods that are going to do that and reduce inflammation for you um But one of the ways I'm different is that a big part of my practice revolves around the gut and the health of your gut. And there is a lot of information out there right now about leaky gut and what that means. And that's a big part of what I address is that. I know you've probably heard the phrase you are what you eat but it's a lot more than that it's what you eat what you digest absorb metabolize detoxify eliminate so I do talk a little bit about poop uh, pretty much every day (laughs) regularly no pun intended and uh, so I I really focus in on restoring proper function of the digestive tract so there's a lot of different things that can contribute to whether or not our gut is quote-unquote leaky
1: and the gut is so very important and one let's, of the let's, the let's talk about that first. What what does the term, because it sounds so gross and I've heard <laughs> it many many times what does the term leaky gut actually refer to?
3: So uh, the gut is uh, over about of our immune system is housed within the gut. The gut helps us to um, protect our, our immune system in general. It helps make different types of vitamins. It helps set our pain point. It's responsible for cravings. You know, we've got a lot of gut bugs in there that do a ton of different things. But when our gut ends up being... What they like to call permeable, meaning that things can get through all those different layers of protection in the gut Mm -hmm. that end up possibly in the bloodstream. And we see that that leads to different types of inflammation that can end up leading to types of chronic disease. So... Things like medication, stress, your environment, diet—the standard American diet has not done wonders for our health—are all factors that play into whether or not we're properly breaking down our food and whether or not we're actually able to absorb all of the nutrients, all the vitamins and minerals that help to support
1: our immune system. Well, so, how did you how did you get into all all this this all, what you're doing? I mean, it's it's an interesting field. How did you get into that, or why?
3: Um, You know, I've always been
1: interested in food. I mean, like I
3: said earlier, I I love to cook. And um, my mom, years ago, uh, when I was in high school, was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and Mm. uh, went on with subsequent diagnoses of breast cancer, multiple myeloma. And then during that time, she developed osteoporosis, which fractured her lower spine. She had her gallbladder removed. And I just remember watching and thinking, there's got to be more we can do to support her. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know, we have to eat every day and eating is supposed to be nourishment. And, you know, when you were talking about your inspirational quote about, you know, getting back to to living and we kind of have this distinction between do we live to eat or do we eat to live? And what does that mean? And whether or not we are reframing what it means to feed ourselves and to nourish ourselves. And so ironically, my mom's name was Rosemary. So you know, who knew that she was named after an herb with so many health <laughs> benefits? <laughs> but, um, I love but that really. I think <laughs> she was the she was the main inspiration for me getting uh, into this okay.
1: field. Good. Well, before we run out of time in this first segment, let's jump to the subject of stress eating. Um, I know there's a, a psychology behind it, I'm sure. What? Why, why do we do it? What benefit is it to us? And is it beneficial to use that as an outlet? Or what, what, what can you tell us or educate us on stress eating and the idea of it? So...
3: Historically, let's let's kind of break that down just a little bit, because okay. um, when we think about eating, really eating is nourishment and to give us energy. It wasn't necessarily as far as our ancestors and in terms of survival, you know, it was essential to give us energy. Um, stress, when we think about it in modern times, is brought on in a lot of different ways that didn't exist back in the our ancestral days. Back in our ancestral days, stress meant that you needed to be able to have the quick energy to, say, run from a bear. So we now, the stress that we feel, it still has the same physiological response in the body in the sense that it sends out certain chemicals that help us to, I mean, basically adrenaline. We've all heard that term, right? Mm-hmm. And we um, and With that stress, we were supposed to literally run from that bear and run off all of the extra sugars that we've stored in our body that our body calls upon in those times. And so instead of, you know our biggest source of stress back then being you becoming dinner, Um, that (laughs) acute sense of stress was really important. But now we have more chronic stress and that is where we have these constantly elevated levels then of sugars running around in the system that end up causing inflammation. And then that inflammation leads potentially Mm. to chronic disease. So stress eating, um, Does have something to do with the fact that our body's response to stress requires energy, but it also has to do with the fact that our gut bugs. So, when we think about our gut, which by the way, do you have any idea if we were to basically, so the gut's a tube, right? And if we were to pull it all apart and lay it out flat, do you have any idea how much
1: surface space it would take up? Oh, isn't it like miles or something?
3: Yeah, it's so there are some theories that say that it could be up to around four thousand square feet, so the size wow. of a large house or a tennis court. Um, but then there was actually a Swedish study that came out that said that it's probably more like a studio apartment or a standard American two-car garage. Which That's in either a lot event, of is significant. <laughs> yes, and those oh. gut bugs talk to our brain, and so we literally are having. a a living organism in our bodies telling us what to do and so we are not just yeah i (laughs) (laughs) i know who knew and so i think that the stress eating part comes from a couple of things one is that it's actually a physiological response that naturally occurs but then we've also just become used to using food as a culture to comfort ourselves during times of stress
1: wow well, it kind of explains why we feel the need to eat. I mean, you want to dilute all those bugs that are running around in there and make them try to make them go away, I suppose. Well, listen, we're we're I'm um, going to we're up on the first break, so we're going to go ahead and take a break. Uh, stay tuned, go get that cup of coffee and try to rinse out some of those bugs or some water or something. <laughs> no, we like the bugs most? <laughs> we ultimately. like the bugs. We want we the, like bugs. the bugs. Okay. <laughs> I guess we'll get to that point. Okay, all right, stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit BreastFriends.org and contribute today.
2: When was the last time you felt free?
1: Welcome back to our program. We're talking about healthy eating and gut bugs and all kinds of exciting things with our guest, Megan Gardner. So Megan, um, we just, <clears throat> excuse me, we just finished talking about stress eating and I really appreciate you taking the time to, to kind of cover that. Let's talk about healthy eating. You know, people say, oh, you don't want to eat that, it's bad. Are there really bad foods or is it quantity or is it, what? Well, can you clear up the myth on that please?
3: Sure. I try to avoid using the terms good and bad because I think that if we create negativity around eating, then it leads to negative emotions around eating. And that's one of the last things that we want to try and do. Um, but there are definitely foods that aren't as good for us as others. And definitely processed foods and foods that have a lot of refined sugar that have high levels of sodium. We want to stay away from things like trans fats, which on the food label, now, they they have to report whether or not the. The food includes a trans fat, which is basically that we've changed the chemical structure of something, and the body can no longer recognize it, so it doesn't know what to do with it. A lot of the reactions in our body are very similar to that of a lock and a key. So if you don't have the right key to fit the lock, then we aren't going to be able to move forward with some of our body's processes. So we want to be able to make sure that the body can identify and use everything that we're putting into it. Um, There are some foods like I know. There's a lot of controversy over coffee and whether or not coffee is good for you or bad for you. And that really depends on you and if your liver is able to quickly process out the caffeine, which can be inflammatory, or if you are a slow metabolizer of the caffeine, in which case it might be more burdensome for you. So there is no right or wrong answer when it comes to that. And that's why within this field of nutrition science now, we're really looking at you as an individual. And how foods affect you, and not just what the general population says is is good or bad, for lack of better terms. There.
1: Yeah. So, how, so how do you do it individually? How do you determine if caffeine is going to be okay for me, but not for somebody else? How how is there a, a test you can do to determine that? Uh, Well, there is, there's an
3: emerging field called nutrigenomics, which basically takes your DNA and marries it with your diet and whether or not the things that you're Eating are good for your DNA. Uh, But that's a whole nother show. Okay. Um, Well, good. We got another one the road then. (laughs) There are there are some some things that you can do, but generally speaking, I say if you're the type of person that drinks a cup of coffee at 8 a.m. and still feel a buzz at 2 or 3 p.m., you probably are metabolizing that coffee slower than someone who could have a cup of coffee an hour before bed and still fall asleep. So it's it's definitely determining the level of sensitivity sensitivity that you have to okay. the caffeine. And when we talk about sensitivities, that's another big issue that comes into my practice often is I get a lot of people that say, you know, I used to be able to eat this, but now all of a sudden when I have it, I get bloated, I get crampy, I may have gas, diarrhea, like I get, it's it's kind of a grouping of symptoms that are associated with different types of foods. And so if you tell me if I eat gluten or if I eat dairy, and these things start happening, then those probably aren't the best foods for you to eat, and we should find okay. some other alternatives. Okay. And we so, definitely can test
1: for those, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah gluten, I, I heard that there was some kind of a test. I did actually try uh, reducing or cutting out gluten for a while because my, my doctor felt that maybe um, – some of the symptoms I was having on some other things unrelated to cancer may have been because of a gluten sensitivity that I wasn't aware that I had. So I did try that for a while. And it did seem to help in some areas, but it didn't clear up everything. So my sensitivity probably wasn't wasn't overpowering enough to over overshadow my love of bread.
3: (laughs) Oh, exactly. Exactly. And you know, interestingly, it's sometimes there's a, a 72 hour delay from when we eat something to when we may experience the side effects of our body, not being so happy with it. And though they aren't always things that we would associate with food, things like headaches and joint pain, Mm -hmm. skin issues, things like eczema Mm -hmm. and acne. So there's, Our body displays its either like or dislike for things, both um, in ways that we can see it and then also in ways that maybe we can't. And it's not just about removing that food and and removing the source of of the possible inflammation, but it's also about healing and sealing that gut back up so that we're able to possibly reintroduce that food and not have it create those same symptoms for you. Okay.
1: So all right, let's switch gears just a little bit. You know, there is so much confusion. Some people say, like, I know a lot of people start paying attention to their, quote, diet when they're trying to lose weight. And then there's all this, you know, is it which diet is best? And, you know, the low carb thing was really popular for a while until people realized they weren't getting enough nutrients and vitamins. But the experts are saying that this and then they're saying that diet and then they're saying that diet. Why? How come the experts don't even agree on what's the best diet for our bodies and what's the best way to lose weight why is there so much confusion
3: because everybody is so individual and there's no way to standardize one specific way of eating over another i think it's just it's sort of you know medicine's a lot like law in the sense that it's open to certain levels of interpretation and we also um never really had science and evidence-based research behind our recommendations Um, when we first started with our the food pyramid those dietary guidelines back uh george mcgovern had a committee on it in the 70s and um we we used a lot of assumptions, correlative studies, lobby groups, of course, were weighing in on this. And so we just really didn't have a good science behind it, but we do now. So we're able to dial in more and that includes some of these testing models that we have to provide more information about that individual and give us a better idea of how to target treatments
1: in order to help our patients to feel better. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, You have talked, I've heard you use the terms functional and integrative um, when it comes to our diet. What what does that mean? What what do those terms refer to?
3: Functional in the sense that I want to restore your body's ability to digest, absorb, metabolize, detoxify, eliminate, all of those things as your body should do naturally without requiring different types of medication. So depending on the underlying cause or reason that someone walks through my door. We're taking a look at their general health history. Um, We're looking at family history. We're looking at current lifestyle factors, medications, what their diet looks like, if they're moving. And we're really, we're, we're trying to figure out ways to support the body so that we can get it back to its optimal functioning. And so like the other day I was driving and I heard a a commercial for a new medication that's been approved for EPI. And I'm like, Oh boy, what are we talking about now? (laughs) And so come to find out it's EPI stands for exocrine pancreatic insufficiency. So what that means is that your pancreas, one of the organs in your body, is responsible for two things. One, to help you digest as what we call an exocrine uh, organ and then we also have the endocrine side because the pancreas secretes insulin. So in the sense of digestion, we've been giving digestive enzymes to help support the pancreas to help your body to break down food for Ever and ever and ever. And now all of a sudden, they've realized, oh, there is now something that we can treat with this specific medication. But what we try to do in the functional world is to not have to give you that medication, but to have figure out why that's happening and address the root cause of it. Okay. Wow. And then Integrative, a lot of that means that we're working as part of an interdisciplinary team. So you'll have your general practitioner, your primary Mm -hmm. care, and then you may have a gastroenterologist, you may have a neurologist, you may have an oncologist, and we all work together to support you from different sides so that... You're getting everything you need okay. within that care system.
1: Yeah. And I and I know integrative in med- when it comes to just medicine, I mean there's just so many different things that kind of come into, into play with that. You know, integrative therapies can also include things like yoga and Reiki and yep. all of acupuncture, these other things. So, chiropractic yeah. care, massage. Yeah, yeah absolutely all absolutely. of that. So yeah. So what does it mean when you talk about food as medicine? I I think I have a a sense of it, but let's hear what you as the expert have to say about food as medicine.
3: So as far as food as medicine goes back um, again to the days of our ancestors, we ate whole foods that came directly from the earth that weren't treated with any types of chemicals other than things that were natural. And because of technology and all of the advances that we made there, we started changing the way that our food looked. And as I mentioned with that lock and key idea that we had changed our food so much that we weren't recognizing what it was that we were eating. So we were eating to stop feeling hungry but we weren't actually eating to nourish ourselves. So mm. the idea of food as medicine is really that all of nature's what nature provides has all sorts of prepackaged vitamins and minerals along with protein and carbohydrates and fats that in their natural state or when we talk about whole foods are going to be much better for you and You know, we got into this idea that we had to put salt on things to make it taste better. We had to add sugar to make it taste better. But trying to get back to the idea of using herbs and spices in order to flavor our foods instead of salt and sugar. And some of the unhealthier types of fats, like the trans fats that we talked about. And really kind of getting back to using oils like that from coconut, avocado, different nuts and seeds, Um, and then using whole grain instead of refined grain when we come to our baked goods. And maybe not eating so much of those things either and focusing more of our carbohydrates on fruits and vegetables that contain a lot of fiber because fiber has so many tremendous benefits for the body that, and it's also something
1: that we happen to be deficient in, at least within the American society. Is there any such thing as an anti-cancer diet? Um no, not really because again we go back to that idea of
3: individuality and ultimately what we're trying to do is figure out any causes of inflammation for you and work to try and reduce the burden of those on the body. So as I mentioned if you're somebody that's sensitive to dairy then we probably want to address that and maybe remove dairy for a time from the system because that's only going to drive up inflammation. And ideally, when we think about an anti-inflammatory diet, we're going to be choosing the foods that are going to be the most beneficial for you. And of course, we always want to include lots of different types of fruits and vegetables, but we also want to be careful with some of the sources of protein and of fat because some of them aren't going to be as healthy as others.
1: Can you give us an example of if you're going to stay away from certain kinds of proteins. I mean, we all hear the thing about red meat, you know, try to cut down on red meat, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. So the thing is, red meat in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. Some people find that they need it because it's got um, good sources of iron and amino acids that are the building blocks to um, making hormones, to rebuilding muscle and essentially all the functions in the body. But because of the way that, our source of red meat is being provided so there are issues that some people talk about with how the animal is raised and what the animal is given um, during their lifetime and whether or not those things translate into things that affect our bodies like antibiotics for example whether or not if we eat an animal that's been given antibiotics if that passes through to us and then is stored in our tissues and can cause trouble for us later and then the other thing is i get a lot of questions about um, whether or not i think vegan vegetarian diets are better than those that are more omnivorous and you know When we talk about carbohydrates, vegan and vegetarian diets have to be higher in carbohydrates because your primary source of protein is coming from things like beans that are higher in carbohydrates in general. So, and yes, they have fiber, but if carbohydrates are possibly causing inflammation in some people, then a type of diet that relies primarily on beans and other plant-based sources of protein you know, we we have to look at it as more of the bigger picture and what all is included in that and, and really try and moderate all the different groups together as a whole instead of
1: looking at just one piece of it because everything works and plays together. Sure, that makes sense too. Um, we only have a couple minutes left in this segment and then we'll go out to another break but um, talk about keto for cancer I've heard of that I've heard that term I don't really have a full understanding of what that means
3: Sure. So, um, the ketogenic diet has been around forever. There are some early writings of Hippocrates back in 400 BC that talk about intermittent fasting and the fact that it helped to alleviate seizures in, in people. And so it didn't start to be studied really until much later than that. But, um, it's not it's not necessarily a diet. It's supposed to be more of of a therapeutic approach to treating certain medical conditions. So I know it's really commonly used now for weight loss, but in reality and the way that I was trained around it, it really should be done with medical supervision because there are a lot of things that need to be considered. When somebody goes on to a ketogenic diet, especially if they're on medication, say if they've got diabetes and they're taking metformin or insulin and we have to make adjustments to how much of that medication they're taking because of the increased sensitivity to insulin. So the ketogenic diet as a definition means it is extremely low carb and the idea behind that is that our body generally, it prefers using sugar or glucose as the primary source of energy. But when we deplete our body of our stores of sugar, so we store sugar in our muscles, in our liver, our brain, our fat tissues. So once we pull all that stored sugar out, we switch from using it to using something called ketones, which are made from fat. So the keto diet is very low in carb and higher in fat, so that we use that fat for energy instead of sugar. And the theory is that that reduces down inflammation significantly, and in
1: some cases has been shown to actually re- reverse certain disease states. Okay. Well, we're going to go out to break, and when we come back, I really want to talk about inflammation because, you know, we hear it, it's a buzzword, it's out there, and people talk about it. Pretty regularly But I don't I still think There's some confusion It's not talking About swelling Necessarily So let's Let's talk about Inflammation When we come back So stay tuned We will be back In a minute
4: Become our friend On Facebook Post your thoughts About our shows And network On our timeline Visit facebook.com Forward slash Voice America
0: Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit BreastFriends.org and contribute today.
2: When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a crossing shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states, giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless.
1: Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about healthy eating with our guest, Megan Gardner. And Megan, I love your style. I mean, you really kind of just speak at a level I can understand, (laughs) You know, which is, which is really, really good. So, um, you know, I was, I was afraid I was going to have to ask you to dumb it down for me, but uh, you're doing a great job of connecting, and I'm sure that our audience is, is feeling everything as well. So when we left that break, uh, we talked about um, inflammation, and I know inflammation is a leading cause of a lot of problems. So why don't you talk for a few minutes here about what is inflammation, what, what can we do about it, and and why does it matter? what kind of diseases are caused by, you know by that so
3: sure sure okay so um, we have there's two different types of
1: inflammation
3: acute versus chronic and um, so I'll kind of give you a scenario to help delineate between the two of those um, so imagine you wake up one morning and you hear a loud noise you look out your window and you see there's been a fender bender and oh my gosh smoke is coming from the car so what would your first instinct be to do you'd probably call 911. And once you did that, your first responders would arrive on the scene, and they'd make sure that the drivers and everyone were safe. They'd put out the fire, and medics would come take care of any injured people. The police would come, help direct traffic. And then within a few hours, the scene has been cleared up, and you'd have no idea that an accident had ever occurred. And that is, in a lot of ways, how our body responds acutely. So, if you were to stub your toe you would probably have some pain it might swell it might get red it might feel warm um, and you might not be able to walk on it you might be hobbling around for a couple hours maybe to a couple of days and then you'd be back to your old self again and that is we refer to those as the five pillars of inflammation of acute inflammation but then what happens if you look out your window You see that there's been a fender bender and now there's smoke coming from the car. You call 911 and the first responders show up. They put out the fire, make sure everybody's safe, help direct traffic. But what happens if they don't clean up the mess? And now you've got... Everybody gathering on the sidewalk, the looky-loos, and they start clogging it up. And then cars start to slow down so they can see what's going on. And so then traffic as a whole slows down, and there's honking, and people are getting impatient. And, oh, my gosh, it's Wednesday. It's garbage day. But the garbage <laughs> truck can't get through. So now the garbage starts to pile up and maybe it gets a little stinky. And then you may have some critters interested in what's in those garbage cans. And so you kind of get the point there's this yeah. build up here yeah. and it's sort of like the dust bunnies that can accumulate underneath your bed you don't regularly clean under your bed but it'll build up over time without it being noticed and then you're looking for a missing sock or you can't find the tv remote and you look <laughs> under your bed and oh my goodness
1: <laughs> i have i have to say that reminds me so much of this little dennis the menace cartoon i saw one time dennis goes up to his mom and he goes mom is it true that people come from dust and they return to dust and she says yes honey that's true and she goes well i don't know if they're coming or going but there's somebody under my bed.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And that's a very menacing thing, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Totally.
1: (laughs) No, that is, that's a great description of, you know, I never heard it said that way. I love, I love that. I mean, so, so acute basically is kind of like it's, it's urgent at the moment, but it goes away. Right. And, and then chronic is just continues to build and it gets worse and it gets worse. And yeah. Okay. I get it. Thank you. I appreciate that. So talk about what having inflammation now if you have let's talk about chronic inflammation because acute inflammation probably happens and then it goes away so let's talk about the chronic inflammation what mm-hmm. kind of diseases might be caused by that and and what can we do about it
3: so um a couple of, of conditions that come to mind right away, uh, cancer, one of them, um, diabetes, and diabetes, there's a couple of different types of diabetes, and um, well, actually, there's more than a couple of types, but I'm going to f- focus in for a moment on type 2 diabetes which is acquired, meaning that it develops based on lifestyle. You may have some genetic predisposition to it, but generally speaking it is a condition that develops because of lifestyle. And one of the things that we know now is that the American Diabetes Association is referring to diabetes as a syndemic. So we're beyond an epidemic, a pandemic, and now we're at a syndemic meaning that it affects um, and impacts Uh, social, environmental, and economic issues for people. Uh, Let's see, I think it was 2017 were the latest numbers that we have as far as how diabetes is affecting us. And uh, we know that More than 30 million people in the United States have diabetes, and one in four of them don't even know that they have it. And then in addition to that, more than 84 million U.S. adults, or over a third, have prediabetes, and 90% of them don't know it and diabetes is the seventh leading cause of death in the u.s and it could be underreported because there's a lot of what we call comorbidities associated with that like heart issues issues with your feet your eyes so sometimes it's hard to figure out you know, whether it's the the cart or the horse, chicken or the egg, whatever. So, um, so that's one of the things that we know is a direct inflammatory condition and can absolutely be prevented with the use of diet and lifestyle planning.
1: What about eczema? You mentioned, you mentioned eczema earlier, but I, was that, is that related to inflammation?
3: It is. So again, when we go back to the gut, uh, and because the gut is close to 80% of our immune system, whenever our gut is compromised in some way, then we are asking our immune system to work In overdrive. And when we're constantly working in overdrive, it's super exhausting. So, we're trying to figure out ways to support you so that we can get some of those resources, our immune resources, back into the reserves and not out on active duty, so to speak. So, um, there are a lot of contributing factors to. Um, You know, a lot of times people won't come in just with eczema. I'll see seasonal allergies. I'll see asthma, um, headaches. I see thyroid issues around it, a lot of irritable bowel issues and a lot of chronic fatigue. So it's addressing those things starting in the gut. And what we know about autoimmune conditions, which are also conditions of inflammation, we know that the gut has been researched and studied as far as it almost always having some type of dysfunction so we always start there whenever anybody comes in with a previous diagnosis of an autoimmune
1: condition what's an example of an autoimmune condition lupus
3: ms type 1 diabetes
1: hashimoto's thyroiditis uh,
3: psoriasis there's there's a lot of, there's over a hundred of them and wow. And their their diagnoses are on the rise now, and uh, one you know as we're also seeing with things like diabetes. So we're really really working hard to get people educated and to give them resources around how they can make really great food choices. And the American Heart Association put out a publication, which if it's possible to get a link, um, but their website's heart heart.org, and they've come out with this campaign that's called Healthy for Good, and it talks a lot about how to add color into our diet and all the different fruits and vegetables eating the rainbow. So um, we're really trying to make a big push to get people the information, get people the resources, get them connected with individuals that can help them so that we can try and alleviate some of this burden
1: of inflammatory conditions. So is there, um, what would what would you say if you had to pick out the three best foods that you could go to the grocery store today and buy and eat and know that it's having a positive effect on the inflammation that might be in your body right now? What are the three best foods for that? I always think of blueberries as like the best for everything. I think of broccoli. Yeah, well,
3: berries <laughs> in general are fantastic. They're low in sugar, high in fiber, and each color of the rainbow Uh, has different nutritional components to it. So for example, we always think of foods that are red as having to do with heart health and just your your vascular system in general. So we, we encourage people as they're getting their eight to 10 servings of vegetables a day, which a serving is either a half a cup of cooked or one cup raw is equivalent to a serving. And we are really encouraging that those be in a variety of colors. Sort kind of like your Crayola crayon box.
1: What about okay, one of my favorite fruits I've heard is really not that good for you because it's really high in sugar. And even though it's natural sugar, it it's got a high glycemic index, so it raises your insulin quickly, which is not good. Um, and that's watermelon. Can you talk about I love watermelon? Is there, is there an amount that's safe to eat? Because I love it. Yeah, it's and actually,
3: that is a misnomer. So okay. I will debunk that myth right now. Okay, please. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> watermelon has an awful lot of water in it uh, and fiber. So it actually does not have the same effect because we look at your total amount of carbohydrates and then we deduct the amount of fiber that's in each serving and that gives you your net carbohydrate and that's really what we're more focused on because the fiber content in foods really prevents your blood sugar from spiking so that's when we talk about balanced eating we want to include a fat a fiber and a protein with each meal
1: well i don't think a watermelon is having fiber i mean it's so if you let it sit out, it gets mushy.
3: <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, but those are all fiber? the fibers. That's all that fibrous goodness in there.
1: <laughs> that's crazy. Well, I'm glad because I, I love watermelon and I know everything in moderation, everything in moderation. So maybe I just need to tone it back a little bit, but I could eat a half a watermelon, one of those small ones. Oh, easily. Yeah, easily. yeah. Easily in one sitting. You know? Yeah. So,
3: yeah. Well, so. and it's also, I think if you're going to pick any color of the rainbow, really to focus on your greens are so important. So finding ways, to get those in. I usually recommend if you're having a soup or um, something that's warm that you could put on top of a bed of spinach and let that spinach wilt down so that you can stir it in. It's going to give you a super huge nutritional boost to what you're eating and add in just an extra one of those servings a day because when we talk about the gut and if you're actually absorbing those nutrients, we want to give your body as many opportunities as possible to absorb the nutrients so So getting in a fruit or a vegetable multiple times a day with your meals can be extraordinarily
1: helpful. So just real quick, because we're almost out of time. Um, If you're cooking vegetables, and I'm I'm guessing that the best way to eat vegetables and fruits obviously is raw, just eating them in their absolute natural state, I'm guessing is the best way. But if you had to cook it or you wanted to cook it, steam it, saute it in, in healthy oil, what's the best way?
3: uh so just a quick point raw isn't always better just because if your body can't break it down then it's going to end up causing trouble for you but then also things like tomatoes have a a a phytonutrient in there called lycopene that actually becomes more available when it is cooked um i I definitely uh lightly steaming light sauteing cooking on medium heat just don't you know burn burn it to death um, <laughs> and definitely don't boil it because then you just okay. end up pouring all the nutrients down your okay. kitchen sink
1: and your garbage disposal ends up being healthier than you. So, so, if, you, <laughs> so if you use a steamer basket, so the, the vegetables yes. are on top of the water, yep. water's underneath it, you're steaming them. That's, that's it. I love spinach that way. I cook it yes. that way as that's often fantastic. as I can. So absolutely. Well, I am so excited. I'm, I'm sad to say that we're kind of out of time. Do you have any, I'm going to give you like 30 seconds give me any resources or any place people can go online to look for more information or how they can reach you or do you have a website what what tell us
3: I do I so I mentioned heart.org Their healthy for good campaign great place to start they've got an amazing guide on there that's PDF you can print out Um, also the environmental working group is a great place to go to see which foods would be better to buy organic and which you can buy conventional it's called clean 15 or dirty dozen and then for me I'm reachable Um, really email is the best Um, it's just Megan M-E-G-A-N at holy gardener W-H-O-L-E-Y gardener.com or you can give me a call at the clinic which is area code 503-548-4008 and i think we could probably put some of this information
1: on a facebook page wonderful well megan thank you so much for joining us today thanks we you for are having completely me Completely out of time so we will be back next week and until then remember there is always hope and we are here to help you find it
0: thank you for listening to breast friends cancer support radio Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern time, 9 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel. There is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.